You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Listen up, Ohio, because this is a test from Pepsi. If you call Seabus Seatown, you're not from Ohio. If you don't know the Blue Jackets actually have a fifth line, you're not from Ohio. And if you don't know what to say when someone yells OH, you're not from Ohio. We know this because at Pepsi, we are from Ohio. In fact, we bottle ice cold Pepsi right here in Seabus. So when you're thirsty for something that says you're from here and proud of it, grab a Pepsi and say here's to OHIO, where Pepsi and life are oh so refreshing. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. The Red Sox are coming to town for the first time in 2021. Congratulations to Peter Gammons, who must have drawn up the Red Sox schedule. Pretty favorable, but now they have to face some major league teams coming off losing three out of four in Houston. Unfortunately, we might not be a major league team either. So this could be yet another break on Boston schedule. We're going to talk the Rays series. We're going to talk the umpire who stole the end of the Rays series. What we learned from it, maybe not all that much, what we could take away going into this and some weird and not that bad Corey Kluber injury news. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We'll be happy to answer that if you want to drop it on us. Thomas Carinante, happy Friday. Uh, You know, the Yankees split this four-game set with the Rays. Hard to be that upset. Hard to have learned that much from it because they did play well enough to lose all four games, and they won two of them. So I would say a lucky outcome and one that keeps them relatively stabilized in the AL East, at least. They needed that Clint Frazier walk-off. They did. Uh, Clint came came up in a huge situation, delivered. But guess what? Before that, I mean, they, they're, they're one for 10 with runners in scoring position. They leave they leave eight runners on base. Like, this is the stuff we're continuing. We're, we're complaining about it every day, and it's still not going away. It is still not it's going as away. Poorly, it's as poorly as you can hit in a series. It really yeah. is. I can't believe is, they won two of these games. I cannot believe they won. T- I can't believe. I can't believe they didn't win three of these games. You look at what the Rays did. You thought the 
look, the Rays got after Garrett Cole yesterday. That was impressive, I will admit. But in the games, the Yankees won. The Rays were one for 10 uh, with runners. And they were one. They were two for 21 with runners in scoring position. So they had some Yankees-esque uh, production on their hands for a good portion of the series uh, before uh, finally exploding yesterday. But then you go, we can go ahead and argue that the only reason they exploded yesterday was because once again, the Yankees miss opportunities bottom of the four or what was it? Bottom of the fourth inning. They're down two yeah. to one after the Meadows home run second and third, no outs judge and uh, Gio Rochelle on second and third. They can't do a single thing. Uh, Odor, what did he popped out? Clint Frazier strikes out and Duhar. I don't even remember what he did because he struck out too, but yeah. let's not, let's not zip past that Clint Frazier. No, effort. we can't. No, we absolutely have to pause it there because I just, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not a sports radio caller. I try not to be. I'm I am Mr. Right. Yeah, you, you are. And I also am. I mean, if you read my Twitter, I, my Twitter sucks. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm trying not to be Mr. Blame the umpires guy. And obviously there are a lot of factors in the Yankees losing nine two to the Tampa Bay Rays, but the umpires changed the game. Yeah. They changed the complexion of the game in multiple ways and in ways that were little league esque and became laughable at a certain point, because there is a difference between bad strike zone and inconsistent strike zone. And what we had yesterday was a literal different strike zone for Garrett Cole and Ryan Yarbrough. The umpire called this game as if he was mystified and mesmerized by a lefty throwing somewhat sidearm. Like it's the first time he's ever seen this in his whole life. Ryan Yarbrough was getting six to eight inches off the corner. Garrett Cole wasn't getting the top part of the zone. Cole threw two fastballs in the zone that were not called strikes and didn't get a single called strike on a ball that missed the zone, an incredibly tight zone. Like the umpire, you know, you don't really want people getting called strikes on balls that missed the zone. seems like the umpire was largely nailing it on Cole Yarbrough. His entire pitch plot was off the plate. He didn't, he didn't even come close and he didn't have to. He had seven pitches third, outside the, the zone that were called yeah, strikes. With second and third no outs in that inning, Odor obviously screws up the inning immediately. Pops out ridiculous, insane. Of course, all you have to do, you can hit a ground ball in a second and tie the game. And oh, he yeah. pops out. You can do a million things and, and tie the game. He does nothing. Here comes Clint Frazier, who bailed the Yankees out of bases loaded no outs that became bases loaded one out in the Wednesday win with a single up the middle. If not for that single up the middle, we're obviously talking about a, a lost series again. Um, so Frazier has bailed out the Yankees in the past, got a chance to bail them out here. Strikes out looking on the first strike he sees in the entire at-bat. And we're not talking about borderline calls, and we're not talking about Justin Wilson being one strike away from closing out the Tigers, which, like, that grazed the top of the zone. It was caught weird, you know, all sorts of things. These were six inches to eight inches outside, and one of them was probably four or five inches away, and one of them was a good eight or nine, and I do not know how you justify making any of these calls of the umpire or what Frazier is supposed to do there. And it led to Miguel Andujar helicoptering over a ball, you know, six or seven inches outside and low because you now have to protect six or seven inches outside and low. The problem isn't just that Yarbrough is getting these crazy calls. It's that Cole wasn't getting anything close to this. And it all came to a head when Kevin Kiermeyer, avoiding an infield dribbler, ran fully out of the baseline in obvious fashion, bent his whole body over and stepped in the grass 
and was called safe at first without even an argument. And Aaron Boone didn't even get himself run until a pitching change with Nick Nelson innings later. Of course, two runners on, two outs in that inning. It's still a 2-1 game. Cole gets beat on his changeup a couple times, and suddenly it's 5-1 and the game's over. But there are three outs if the ump calls... You know, if the ump calls a thing that you do as a child, you try to run out of the baseline as a baby boy. And Kevin Kiermeyer did it in a major <laughs> league game uh, on Thursday, and it worked. And then DJ LeMay, who hit a dribbler to first later in the game, too, and hopped exaggeratedly out of the baseline, which I hope was a troll on the umpires. And maybe it was because LeMay, who was angry in this game, was started banging his batting helmet. Good. Good to see some fire, but not encouraging because he's still not hitting. Um, but I hope the Yankees were getting in the umpires' heads because that that's as bad a performance as I've ever seen. Not like, you know, there are plenty of games this year with one blown play where a lot of people's jaws are on the floor like, wow, umpiring is terrible. Everything in this game was wrong, and all of it was tilted to the Rays in a way that, that literally picked up the game and changed the complexion midway through it. I agree. It was a complete, completely unfair advantage for Tampa, especially in a game where you know if they get any unfair advantage, they're going to win. They already give Garrett Cole a tough time. Austin Meadows cranks that two-run homer, and you're like, great, here we fucking go again. This is happening again. Yeah, to be fair, Austin Meadows did do that. They were leading before any of this crap. But then again, you know, 2-1 game, I don't think Nick Nelson comes in. 2-1 game, absolutely. you know, all that stuff. It's a completely different bullpen complexion at that point. Um, but you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because the umpire, there is an ump show every week, every single week. You can find something in major league baseball where the umps are screwing one team. That's very obvious. And there's an uproar and there's people on Twitter freaking out. This also comes down to the Yankees. Once again, sucking, you let Ryan Yarbrough throw the Rays first complete game since 2016, Six hits from this team. John Carlos Stanton doesn't play again for whatever reason because they're resting him. I just I don't understand it. if John Carlos Stanton plays here. Here's here's how I look at the 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 way this game should have transpired, even with the um screwing us. So first of all, Clint Frazier striking out uh, after seeing those six pitches, five of which were balls was egregious. However, you are a major league player. He didn't lift the bat off his shoulder once during that at bat. I understand that there was nothing entirely um, uh, convincing to swing at there, but you just saw what this guy called on you. So you, you, you at least at the very least have to protect the plate and you can't leave it up to chance on a three, two count with a, with a, with a borderline pitch to decide your fate, uh, which, which would only have been a walk anyway. It would have just loaded the bases for Andujar to probably fuck up anyway. So there, as a major league player, you simply have to protect the plate and create your own destiny if you know what the umps are doing, because this was also nothing new. He was calling outside pitches all game. It wasn't for Yarborough uh, for against right handed hitters. So it wasn't any it wasn't anything entirely new. And then secondly, in that uh, fifth inning where uh, the was it? the Yeah, where the where the race started to pour it on. Yeah, you have Zanino on second. And uh, I forgot who pokes the the oh, it was Brandon Lau takes a coal, uh, an outside pitch, pulls it to right field. Clint Frazier is trying to deke the runner by pretending he's going to catch it. And then two outs, two, two outs, by the way, he has the ball in his glove before Zanino gets to third base and he can't throw Mike Zanino out at home plate. So I, if Aaron Judge is in there, they're probably not sending Zanino. And if they do send Zanino, Zanino is out. If that's if Aaron Judge is playing the field, he was DHing yesterday. Instead, Clint Frazier, for some reason, trying to get fancy um, and then completely offline throw 
takes uh, 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 Higashioka. Was it Higashioka? Yeah. Yeah. Higashioka completely out of the base, uh, the base path. He has to come forward and toward third base. And then that allows Zanito to sneak through the back touch home plate. And that continues to extend the inning. And then Yandy Diaz hits a fucking stupid bloop single that scores everybody. Um, so uh, it's just it, that that gets us out of the inning, in my opinion. And it's just, once again, it's bad play. It's no situational hitting with the runners on second and third. And it's just not great defense. I know there were no errors on the box score yesterday, but you can't have outfielders who can't throw out Mike Zanino at home plate when you have the ball in your glove before he gets to third base. I'm sorry. He's deking with two outs as if like what the runners, you know, are going to stop midway through their tracks because they think Clint Frazier is a chance to catch the ball earth to Clint Frazier, who, you know, some days wakes up and goes three for four with a double and a homer and a diving catch. And some days plays as if this is like fourth grade and the left fielder is picking up dandelions and has his glove off and hat off and is just sitting <laughs> on the ground. Two outs, runners are moving. So you're not deking anyone out of their shoes. No one in their right mind, especially on the Rays, one of the most disciplined teams we've seen, is going to be like, oh, he's going to catch it. I better hold. Oh, I better stand on second. No, two outs. Everyone's running. Clint Frazier loves to dive. It's like his favorite thing. It's his favorite thing in sports. If Clint Frazier could only dive, he would only dive. So why on earth is he hanging back and waiting for a blooper with two outs in that inning? Congratulations to Brandon Lau, who hit a changeup. Of course, the Yankees changeup revolution has sort of helped every one of their starting pitchers and relievers, and they're not in this series at all if they don't have expert relief work and incredible starting pitching. Lucas Litke in the second game, I mean, you know, it feels like ancient history that they won games two and three in the series. They held on for dear life after barely hitting whatsoever and giving Clint Frazier a chance to walk off and all that stuff. But Cole gets beat on his changeup, and, you know, it, it's going to take a miracle to get out of it. It's going to take a great play from Frazier to catch that looping liner, and you wish that with two outs and Kiermaier, who shouldn't have been on base in the first place, you wish it had never gotten to this point. But when it gets to that point, Clint Frazier has to be smarter. He has to make a better decision. He has to not do the Gary Sanchez and run to third base on a ground ball in front of him, which insanely the Rays also did on (laughs) Wednesday. The level of baseball at this point has like what a low level of baseball. I guess briefly, we do need to touch on Garrett Cole's spin rate. Uh, Don't really want to talk about it, but baseball in its continued efforts to experiment with the game of baseball midseason has started cracking down on the use of illegal substances, uh, which are used by 80% of pitchers, Garrett Cole definitely included. Uh, Sorry to get ahead of the arguments. And, and, you know, Yankees are cheating. Okay, great. So is your favorite team. Everyone's cheating. If this is cheating, everyone's cheating. But Garrett Cole definitely uses, you know, sticky tack to increase the spin rate and, and help him out. Among the lowest spin rates of the season yesterday, as Major League Baseball continues to crack down on this stuff, is it, uh, I need to see more before I say it's a problem. Also, Cole was damn good with the fastball yesterday and looked great through three innings, got beat by Austin Meadows on a changeup, got beat by Brandon Lau on a changeup, and there wouldn't have even been runners on base if not for that. Uh, things fell apart in the fifth inning, but not because his breaker and fastball were not working because he, I guess, did not have a feel for the change or the Rays were on it. I don't know, but... As of now, the the decreased spin rate is is a bit of a concern because you never want to see that. But the way Cole got beat yesterday had nothing to do with that. So hopefully moving forward, if the MLB is going to crack the MLB, who am I? If Major League Baseball (laughs) is going to crack down 
on this kind of thing. Hopefully it does not affect him terribly because the Yankees need Garrett Cole to be Garrett Cole. And right now, Garrett Cole's been Garrett Cole about 85% of the time. And the team is still six and six in his starts. And after yesterday, the team is now 0 and 15 when their opponent scores five or more runs, which is the most insane thing you'll ever hear. Ever. The New York Yankees. 0 and 15. Five runs, not 12 runs, not eight runs, five. Oh, they should be scoring runs. I don't understand either. And it's hard to get. <laughs> they should be scoring. They runs. should just be scoring runs. That's my analysis because they're not they're not doing that. Another game where they score two or fewer runs. It never ends. And then the games where they score four or five, it's like they're, they're pulling teeth and they don't they need extra innings to do it or they need to do it at the last possible moment. And it's all baked in with base running gaps, with errors that give the 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 other team life. So they really need to pull it together because, look, I don't want to be the guy because I blame everybody. I don't want to be the guy blaming Garrett Cole yesterday for just not going seven shutout because, look, you know, your offense sucks. You know, the team is really not playing fundamentally well at this moment or really all year. Just go seven shutout. But at the same time, the Yankees can't be allowing Ryan Yarbrough to pitch a complete game against them and make other mistakes and make it easier for and just keep giving life to the other team. That's all they do. They just they let they continue to let opportunities open for the opposition. And that's why they find these themselves in these positions. And then, yeah, of course, at some point they're going to probably get after Garrett Cole after the umps are not on your side. And, you know, they've seen him now three times through the order because they were working him pretty well. So just play better baseball. <laughs> Ryan Yarbrough could beat the Yankees eight times in a row. At least. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Corey Kluber news and the Boston Red Sox. Stick around. Welcome back to the Yanks Go Yard podcast. During the break, Ryan Yarbrough just shut us out again for eight more innings. Uh, he's matched up with Garrett Cole three times this year, by the way, three times. And one of those was a one nothing Garrett Cole win. And the other two were losses. Ryan Yarbrough, Ryan Yarbrough. Ryan Yarbrough. The Yankees have a better chance against Tyler Glass. Like, truly, if the Yankees turned around and batted against Garrett Cole, they'd have a better chance against him than, than Ryan Yarbrough. It's insane. Uh, it's slop. Uh, it's just slop. Um, so, Corey Kluber, weird week. Um, I think you and I are sort of aligned that we... Uh, it's funny how injuries work. When, when Kluber got hurt, we were like, oh, my God, we can't afford to lose Kluber. As long as we don't lose him for the year, it'll be great. He'll rehab for a month, and then he'll be back in two and whatever. And then a week later, we were just kind of like resigned to the fact that we'd never see him again. And we never even thought we, I wasn't even thinking about Corey Kluber. I was like, Forgot oh, about right. you know, I, I guess he was on this team at some point. We get a bunch of weird cryptic updates. Uh, Aaron Boone's like, we're going to do a die contrast MRI. I'll have that information for you tomorrow to make sure there's nothing else wrong with him. Then when tomorrow comes, Boone's like, I'll actually have it for you tomorrow. I still don't have the information. And everyone's like, okay, that sounds terrible. Like, obviously you would have the information if it were good. Um, and then, Kluber's just like out getting treatment, getting different assessments and blah, blah, blah. And usually when someone's getting a million assessments, it's because somebody found something bad. And the doctor is like, is there any way we can not operate and end your career? And so he just sees one last person. And that guy's like, nope, your career is over. <laughs> uh, so Kluber sees more doctors and Boone goes to the mic on Thursday and goes, uh, same timetable for Kluber. So still four weeks and then four week ramp up and back in eight weeks, theoretically different treatment and different course of action. And the doctors say he can start a flat ground throwing program soon. What is wrong with him? And is a subscapular strain a fake injury that they invented? Cause it seems like, uh, seems like he's okay. And like actually fine ish and like can get back to baseball activities soon. 
how is that possible? And do you do you expect to see him? I don't expect to see him until August or, or maybe mid August. Yeah, I uh, I'm not going full pessimist here. I just am not going to bank on him contributing again. Uh, not because I think that's going to happen, just because there is there there's uncertainty here. Regardless, if the Yankees tell me there's optimism, that means that there's like a 25 percent chance something good will happen because yeah. that's just how Yankees injury news works. You know, they, they come out with the first diagnosis, which they kind of made it sound like it was fine. It's like, hey, shut down for a month. We're going to figure things out, blah, blah, blah. And then they come up with this injury that no one's ever heard of. It's a part of the shoulder that I think they just discovered like last week. Scientists. I, I don't yeah, know. Kluber is um, like Kluber's like my shoulder doesn't even hurt. And the MRI is like, well, you have a scub <laughs> scapular strain. He's like, really? And they're like, you might have had this for 20 years. We have no idea. You don't know what this is. Yeah. So then they're saying, oh, he's going for a second opinion. And then the second opinion drags on for another week. So there's just more lack of clarity. Uh, don't really know what's going on. Then we're being told he's going to maybe throw off flat ground. Uh, look, if honestly, I would have felt I almost would have felt better, not better. I don't know. I It would have just not been as ominous and troublesome if he had just aggravated the injury that he had last year. This is just my opinion. If he had just because he remember, he didn't undergo surgery, which was something that we discovered the night that he got injured uh, after that, uh, the, his start after the no hitter in Texas. He didn't never underwent surgery for the shoulder, the the muscle tear that he suffered last year, which limited him to one inning of work with the Texas Rangers. So conventional wisdom was like, oh, great. So he just re-injured this and that's probably it. And he's not getting any younger. So the mileage on his arm is catching up to him and this and that. Now this is a completely new shoulder injury that we don't even that like we don't even know what to expect with. And the doctors don't even seem to understand the the gravity or the, the ramifications of it. So now this is all more concerning to me because I don't know how they don't seem to have a, a definitive way for him to progress moving forward. And do I think that that means he's out for the year? No, I just think that if you don't have a clear picture of what the rehab is going to be, if when he's able to start throwing again, they, they see that they will begin throwing on flat ground sometime in the next few days, but like also not sure when he's going to be able to come back. Like he was supposed to be shut down for four weeks and now he's going to throw all of a sudden. So I don't know. It's all very confusing to me. And it just seems like it could be one of those things where, oh, he's going to start throwing again. Oh, shit. Wait, uh, I don't think he should have started throwing again because now he's having some more aggravation in his shoulder. So I don't know. I, I am just I I like Corey Kluber in terms of what he's been able to give us. Uh, he far exceeded expectations in the month of May. I know April was tough, um, but we Yankee fans would be lying to you if you didn't see this coming in some capacity where, you know, we signed two injury, uh, not injury prone because Tyone and uh, him aren't don't exactly. Oh, well, Tyone kind of does, but Kluber doesn't really have a long injury history, but we signed two guys who have had limited experience over the last two years for a, a number of reasons. And that's the risk that you take. And the Yankees are inherently, dealing with injury issues every single year. So it just, it felt very counterintuitive to bring these two guys aboard, even though I, I did like the moves. I just, I just thought it was too much of a risk and more, more so of a bad omen because it's like, 
Oh, injury gods. Let's see what you could do now. We're going to bring on two guys who have barely pitched in the last two years. Show us your best. And now Tyone is struggling mightily with a five ERA and Kluber is probably out for two months. So I will be happy if Kluber can come. I I will just, they should just let him rest as long as he can because the whole deal with this $11 million contract was that he's contributing down the stretch and in the postseason with meaningful starts. And that's all that matters. If, the, if the offense can somewhat come back, look, we're talking about expectations with teams. We're facing the Red Sox this weekend. We're 31 and 26. They're 33 and 23. And the Red Sox are supposedly like one of the best teams that anyone's ever seen because they're exceeding expectations. So the season is very much still alive. They just need to figure out a couple of things here and there and prop up the pitching staff. And I think we'll be in a good place. So, but I, I want, I, I want them to rest Kluber as much as possible. I want him pitching in September and October. That's all I want. Yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for all this stuff. I mean, there's, you know, you know, we hate our team. There's a chance that Kluber's <laughs> ready. There's a chance Kluber's ready to come back in mid-August and the Yankees are like 61 and 59. And then it's like, okay, I mean, yeah, thanks. Welcome back. Um, the Rays are sort of blitzing to the front of the AL East. Can anybody catch them? I, I don't know. I, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic with everything and like the Luis Severino thing too. It's like he's going to go on a rehab assignment this week. That's awesome. I'm so glad he's doing that. Should I be excited? Should I think it's too soon? I have no idea what to think. And and I won't know what to think until, you know, I guess when he's on the mound, I'll, I'll exhale and, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I am sort of nervous about every single thing, uh, complications, setbacks and all that stuff. The Boston Red Sox do come into town this weekend, coming off losing three of four in Houston. That is and I don't think it's hyperbole, the first difficult road series they have had in two months. Here's their road schedule, so you know I'm not lying. At Baltimore, at Minnesota, who turned out to be a last-place team. That was part of their big winning streak. They beat Minnesota three out of four times. Last-place team. Uh, At Mets, and it was the Mets at their worst, two games, At Rangers, a series the Red Sox lost three out of four, by the way. At Orioles, again. At Blue Jays in stupid Dunedin, Florida, which is the closest to difficult. At Phillies for three. And then at Astros. That's the Red Sox road schedule so far. That is a complete joke. So they come to the Bronx this weekend on the heels of losing three out of four. That doesn't make me any more confident in the Yankees, though. I would rank this Yankee series just about as difficult as at Blue Jays in Dunedin, to be perfectly honest with you. Of course, of fucking course, the Yankees and Red Sox are playing each other for the first time this year. Very exciting. Yanks are just a two two games back of the Red Sox, two and a half back. Um, chance to prove themselves on their home turf. Who's ready for the Friday night game? Started by Michael King. How does this happen? The Yankees have a rotation. They have like the best rotation in the American League. Michael King is going Friday night. Saturday night, Jamison Tyone, the one weak link in the rotation, other than Michael King, who's not even in the rotation, is going Saturday night. Sunday is Domingo Herman and Garrett Richards. How do the Yankees possibly match up with the Red Sox with their two worst pitching options fronting this three-game series? Now, they do face Eduardo Rodriguez with a five-and-a-half ERA on Saturday. They do face Nate Evaldi on Friday night, and on Sunday, it's the aforementioned Richards. All of the Red Sox pitchers, like Martin Perez is their best starter. I, I don't really know what's going on, and we don't face him. Nick Pavetta is their second-best starter. 
Once again, don't know how that's possible, and we don't face him. The Red Sox are thoroughly average to above average in every way. They have four good offensive performers. Rafael Devers is hitting 160 on fastballs this year, and he's coming off a series where the Astros threw only fastballs at him. I have low expectations. I do not think that the Yankees are primed and ready to breathe fire in this one. I would be happy. I am a loser. I would be happy with one win. I don't think a lot of other people would be happier with fewer than two wins. But Friday night, Michael King, how excited could you possibly be? Uh, yeah, I know. I, I agree. Uh, we should win two of these. Look, they're facing uh, Eovaldi, our best friend, uh, who I despise. He's got a four ERA. He's having an okay year. Like he could certainly beat us, but like not anybody I'm afraid of. Uh, then they got Eduardo Rodriguez, who's having a terrible year, five, six, four ERA with a one, four, four whip. And then they got Garrett Richards on Sunday night baseball, having a solid year, three, seven, five, but a little bit of a concerning uh, one, four, eight whip. Um, this, if the Yankees can manufacture any sort of offense, I, I think they have the edge. I understand the Red Sox have, um, they've had a really good offense this year. They are, I think, th- yeah, they're third in the league in batting average yeah. uh, with a two fifty seven average. They're third in OPS with a seven fifty five OPS. Uh, Bogarts, Devers, JD Martinez, even Verdugo are having great years. So it's going to be tough to get through those guys in the lineup. But the Yankees have the bullpen to do it. It's just going to be a matter of if Michael King can get maybe four innings, if Tyone can avoid his early inning struggles, if. Ramon can kind of continue on the trajectory he's been lately. He's been, he's been pretty good. So we'll take it. Look, I understand that the Yankees look bad and they, they don't, they, they just don't instill any confidence. That's, that's just what the Yankees are doing right now. But if there's any indication of, I guess, of a turnaround, they've been putting some traffic on the bases recently. And if you look at how the Red Sox kind of stack up against them, the good news is like you said, we avoid their two best starters, which is, is pretty awesome. Uh, then you look at their bullpen. Otto has surprisingly bounced back 2.91 ERA in 25 games. But guess what? Everyone aside from Matt Barnes has a really bad whip. Otto 1.34. Um, uh, Hirokazu Sawamura uh, 1.45 whip. Josh Taylor 1.70 whip. Darwin Zin Hernandez 1.65 whip. Uh, Matt Andriese, 1.74 whip. All of these guys have appeared in at least, uh, except with the exception of uh, Andriese, everybody has appeared in at least 20 games. So that's their bullpen, who's going to be going up against the Yankees, who like to manufacture walks. I understand that their lack of a good batting average uh, does piss us off a lot because we'd much rather balls in play testing the defense. But if these guys can't throw strikes, the Yankees are going to at least put traffic on the bases and make life difficult and run pitch counts up. So, I think that's a matchup that we have to look for throughout this. And obviously we have to, look, we get, we're, we're, we're not put placing a lot of faith in the rotation because they're going up probably against our three worst starters uh, this year. One who isn't even really a starter. Michael King is just getting, uh, you know, shuttled between the bullpen and the rotation wherever he's needed. Um, but the pitching is held down the fort for most of the year, guys. It's it's the lineup that can't get the job done. And we're avoiding the Red Sox two best starters. I know they're avoiding our best two as well, but it could, if it comes down to a matchup of the bullpens, the Yankees just simply have to take advantage and the numbers say that they should. So can we get to maybe please? Maybe I mean, there's a percentage chance. Michael King holds the line today and at least goes like four or five solid innings. But you have to admit today is their worst chance. Yes. Um, which I don't even know, like in a, in an actual playoff series, you obviously don't want to lose game one, 
But there is a little less pressure when you're entering a three-game set and your least likely victory is the first one. Because then if you win it, it's like, holy shit. Yeah. And if house, you lose it, money. Yeah. And if you lose it, it's like, all right, well, okay, that you beat a guy who shouldn't be in the major leagues. Let's move on to game two. Like, I kind of like that as a setup. Cause this isn't a playoff series. This isn't really even a prove it series. The Red Sox aren't in first place anymore. Everybody knows the Red Sox are pretty good. Like they no longer, you know, they're no longer, I guess they're, they're going to come in angry. The Yankees went nine and one against the Red Sox last year. If the Yankees don't beat the Red Sox nine times last year, they're basically an under 500 team, yeah. which is insane. Uh, the Red Sox are going to come in angry, but the, you know, cause they need to, they feel like they need to prove themselves in every series, but everybody knows who they are right now. They're a good offense. They're a decent pitching staff and they're, you know, an over 500 team. It's June. They're solid. Um, but their schedule is unlike anything you've ever seen. We have played the Rays 13 times, 13 times. We're, we're five and eight against them, which, you know, you could have sold me on worse. 13 times. How many times have the Red Sox played the Rays? Three times. How many times have the Red Sox played the Rays at Tropicana Field? Zero times. We've played the Blue Jays how many times? We went there for three. We came here for six. So nine games against the Jays. The Red Sox have faced them five times. I don't know how this is possible. I, I really don't know how this is possible. Maybe the schedule makers thought the Red Sox were going to be bad and they wanted to fatten up the Twins and White Sox early. I, I truly don't know. But all I do know is that there are, you know, the Blue Jays were widely expected to compete for the division. So were the Yankees. So were the Rays. The Red Sox were expected to finish fourth. And the Red Sox have played the teams that are expected. The Red Sox haven't played us yet. The Red Sox have played the Rays three times and the Blue Jays five, eight times in two months against the teams that are supposed to compete for the top of the division with all of these Red Sox Orioles games packed at the top of the schedule. The Red Sox played the Orioles six times in the season's first nine games. I, I don't know who did this and I'm not going to whine and complain about it anymore. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure I will. I will keep whining and complaining about it, but things get real for the Red Sox now. Um, they, they just went and lost to the Astros three out of four times. They're coming to us. They get the Astros at home next week. They get the Blue Jays at home next week. Go to Atlanta. Go to Tampa. Finally, they get us again. Um, you know, these are major league games on the schedule. So the Red Sox are, are going to come in angry. They're not exactly coming in hot. Neither are we. Uh, this series, I'm not sure what it's going to tell us. And I think a lot of people are less excited for it than they were when the Red Sox had blitzed to the top of the East and the Rays were sort of hanging back. Rays are really, really good. I, I think the Rays are probably going to be there at the end of the year scary and concerning but the Red Sox have a chance to prove they belong to enter more than just an 84 85 win above 500 team so they're going to come out angry and like I said we beat them up last year so they want to give us a, a little taste of our own medicine and JD Martinez um where's the video room at Yankee Stadium like is there any chance we can put up caution tape and, and close it off before he gets there or, or something that might be helpful because it, it seemed to throw him off a little bit last year or make it a giant fun house so he just can never come out. And then he, yeah, he just doesn't uh, play. Zip him up in the video room. Uh, the, the TV doesn't work. It's, you can't turn it on. Oh, sorry, JD. Like <laughs> Alex Cora, by the way, it, you know, Alex Cora is back. And Brett Gardner himself, himself, <laughs> Brett Gardner, the worst Yankee, said on Thursday, you know, that, that gives a little more juice to the rivalry. You know, we don't like him. We don't like him being here. I don't either. It's embarrassing. It's insane for Major League Baseball that Alex Cora got a 60-game vacation from his dream job and then got to walk right back to it. Um, I'd like to to hurt his feelings a little bit this weekend. I would. Um, if the Yankees were hitting and not pitching, it would be a different series, though. They are unfortunately pitching and not hitting. So as soon as three or four runs get on the board, you start to get scared, and that's really no way to live life. Maybe they break out. It'd be nice.
you know, if, if there's any consolation here, we're catching the Red Sox probably in their worst stretch of the year, aside from their uh, <laughs> season opening uh, three game sweep at the hands of the Orioles. Yeah, thank uh, God they, for that. Yeah, they've lost five of nine. And in their loss, in their five losses, they've scored a total of seven runs. Um, even in their wins wasn't entirely impressive. I, well, uh, they did put up nine against the Braves, but uh, they beat the Marlins in a five two game that was that was rained out after six. Um and then they beat they uh, they scored eight runs total in their other two wins against the uh, the Marlins and the Astros. And the one win against the Astros was to avoid an embarrassing four game sweep. And Martin uh, Martin Perez was on the mound for them. So uh, things seem to be not going entirely great for the Red Sox right now. And they're just avoiding like disastrous situations. Um, so if there's any time to catch them, I guess, based on what we've seen from this year. So right now, let's do it, guys. Right now, uh, as long as the home plate umpire from Thursday's not there again, uh, maybe the Red, hopefully the Red Sox didn't watch that game because they were playing in Houston. They they would know that you can run out of the baseline at Yankee Stadium and just be fine. They they should just do that every time there's a there's a grounder. They should just dip <laughs> into foul territory and see if they can get to first base. You know, Alex Cora is telling them to do that uh, if he saw last night's game. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. That is it for this episode of the Inks Go Yard Podcast. Drop us those five-star reviews and mailbag questions if you'd like. We're going to be salty through the end of the season. Uh, this was a pretty weird week. Uh, and once again, we think the Yankees kind of got lucky here. So they are staying afloat instead of dead in the water. Not a horrible place to be. Let's see what you got for the Red Sox this weekend. And like we said, expectations are lowest for game one. It's an interesting place to live. See if you can maybe get some house money out of this. I'm Adam Weinrib. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinrib. And I'm Thomas Carinante. You can find me at Tommy's underscore takes. Folks, it's Pizza Friday. Have fun. Have a ball. We got a nice weekend coming up. Red Sox are in town. Head on over to yanksgoyard.com. You can read all the anti-Red Sox content there as you'd like. We'll be on uh, Twitter as well, at YanksGuardGuardFS. You can talk to us there. We'll be covering the games religiously, especially because we have these guys coming into town. We want to take them down. We need to get back on track. I, I don't know how motivated the Yankees are. Hopefully, DJ LeMahieu getting pissed and Glaber Torres beating up his glove is going to turn our fortunes. But you know what? We're going to try to remain optimistic because uh, we don't face the Rays again for a little while. So maybe that turns the tides. And until then, just enjoy your weekend. Try to have some fun, all right? Try to have some fun. We like fun. See you on Monday. Jamie's Log. Progressive. The Harrington's Backyard. Day 4, 2.18 a.m. I've been camping outside the Harrington house for four days now, proving that Progressive has 24-7 protection. Mr. Harrington says I don't need to do this, since Progressive protects 24-7 is a pretty easy concept to grasp. But I'm going to stay and prove my point. Besides, there's a big tree branch over the roof, and I think it's planning something. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.